Act Three of Civilian Clothes by Thompson Buchanan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Three Scene Hotel Parlour in Hotel Grunwald. Windows left. Two entrances rear on corridor. One entrance right to hotel lobby. Evening of the second day. Discovered. Hart in evening clothes, smoking moodily. Seated right of table, reading paper. Coloured boy enters right. Yes, sir. Here I am, sir. Did you find out about that train? Yes, sir. The IC from Louisville is 20 hours late on Count or Highwater. You come down on the LNN. That's how you happen to beat them in. The trains the author got in last night just coming in now, sir. I reckon they two trains. Last night and two nights. Coming in pretty near together. Huh. Pause. And did you find out about Mr. and Mrs. Arkwright? No, sir. There ain't no six gentlemen stopping in the hotel. They never run up their son's house, and they aren't there neither. But the clerk here says Mr. Outright telegraphed for Memphis for rooms for himself and wife, and we are uh, holding them. Hart reaches in his pocket, pulls out a dollar, and hands it to the boy. All right, George Washington. Let me know the moment they arrive. Excuse me, boss. I am George Washington. That's the other boy. As a Lafayette. Hart rises. Excuse me, General Foch. Yes, sir. Exits just as McGuinness enters centre. No trace of them yet. Haven't heard, have you? McGuinness shakes his head and crosses up right centre, looks off to right. Don't you think, my boy, you're wasting your time? What do you mean? A man's a fool to allow any woman to upset him when he has big work to do. Forget her. Don't you think you're wasting your time? What do you mean? A man is a fool that tries to regulate another man's life when he knows he can't do it. Goes through arch to right. I agree with you. I don't care whether it's any of my business or not. I don't propose to see you spoiling your life over a woman that's not worth it. But you see, I'm not spoiling my life, because she is worth it to me. Now see here, Sam, I'm an older man than you, and if you take my advice... All the mistakes in the world come from taking the other fellow's advice. Hart throwing up his hands, rises, crosses up to centre. All right, that settles it. I'm through. But it may interest you to know, since you're so sure of her, that there are rooms reserved in this hotel for Mr. and Mrs. Arkwright. Yes, wired from Memphis. I knew it hours ago. We can't hold up millions of dollars to wait the convenience of your love affairs, you know. You can always get another boy, you know. 
Hart crosses quickly down left to front of table, facing McGuinness. Oh, come. You know I didn't mean that, you know. Then trust me. I'm playing for my life's happiness, man. I can't afford to fail. I won't be worth a continental damn to you, myself or anybody else, if I don't see this through. McGuinness Sr. enters right centre, preceded by Bellboy with grip. Sam, my boy. Dad. They clasp hands, Sam throwing his left arm around his father's shoulders and giving him a hug, then turning to Hart. My father, Mr. Hart. Sam and McGuinness Sr. move down right of table. Hart grasping the old man's hand. How are you, Mr. McGuinness? McGuinness Jr. motions Bellhop off. It's good to see you, Dad. Didn't have an idea you were within a thousand miles of New Orleans. Puts him in chair. Well, you see, I've been worn over you close to a month. To heart. His letters ain't been happy, so I just thought I'd sort of run down to Louisville and look at the reason. And when you got there... I went to the address you wrote. The maid told me that you had been working as a butler. Turns to Hart. My boy, working as a servant. To McGinnis Jr. Then I knew things were bad. How did you know he had come to New Orleans? The maid told me at the Lanham house that uh, he was going to work for you and they gave me your address here in New Orleans. So I took the first train and here I am. To Sam. <laughs> you see, I, I wanted to hear about that young woman from you. Young woman? Uh, <laughs> don't try to fool your dad. You've been out of the armor for nearly two months. What else could have kept you from your old dad? What else could have spruced you up so? Why, boy, you're a regular dude. Looks expectantly at Sam. A long pause. Sam is trying to make up his mind whether or not to tell his father. Hart watches him anxiously, obviously eager for Sam to tell. You're right, Mr. McGinnis. He ought to tell you all about it. I've tried to advise him, but he won't listen to me. From the way he acts, I know there's something he's holding out. Turns to Sam. I'll go out, Sam. You can talk to your father more freely. You aren't in shape, boy, to think clearly about this matter. Take his advice. If you want to find me, I'm going to get some 275. Exits left centre. McGuinness Sr. looks expectantly at Sam. A long pause. Sam leans over table. Come, son. Tell your old man all about it. If there's any trouble, you could talk to me straight from the shoulder. Pauses. Sam doesn't speak. One way and another, I've gathered this much. You're in love with Miss Lanham, and she's eloped. There's nothing I can tell you, Dad. Nothing I can talk about until I've seen her and him. McGinnis Sr., quickly puts his hand on his son's arm. She's shown what she thinks of you, boy. She's gone with another man. Why not take your medicine like a man? Let her go. 
I can't, Dad. But if she's married to another man... But she's not. She can't be. Because she's my wife. You are married? Strokes hair. Yes. We were married in France. I wish I had told you, Dad, but... At the time... That's all right, son. Pause. So, she's your wife, and she's gone with another man. Rises, with explosion of anger and contempt, striking table with open hand. Within a hell with her. Pause. Yes, Dad, but what of me and the other man? What are you planning to do, son? McGuinness Jr. comes down and crosses right in front of table to McGuinness Sr. I'm going to take her away from him. And if he so much as bats an eye, I'll... No, boy. He couldn't have taken her if she didn't want to go. She's done nothing wrong. She's foolish, headstrong. But she's done nothing really wrong. I'd stake my life on it. But if she has? She's my wife, Dad, and I love her. Heart enters. Then it's time to quit talking like a foolish boy and begin to use your brains to get her back. Now, when I was quoting your mother... Yes, Dad, I remember. I remember. What were you saying, Dad? Uh, I mean, I've got lots of ideas about women. Old men always have. Turns to heart. Haven't they, sir? How should I know? McGuinness Sr. starts to exit. Oh, you too. To McGuinness Jr. Come, son. Come along to my room and we'll talk this all over. McGuinness Sr. exits left. Where does he get that old man stuff? Hart sits down on chair left centre, reads. Mrs. Smythe, in evening gown, enters at right and slowly crosses toward Hart. He looks up at her. Hart rises left centre, staring at Mrs. Smythe. Well, I'll be damned. You! Mrs. Smythe, smiling. Whom were you expecting? How did you get here? The trains run quite regularly. You didn't tell me you were coming to New Orleans. Throws paper on the table, paces to and fro, she watches him smiling the age-old smile of woman. Mrs. Smythe crosses and stops to write. Didn't I? Possibly I was afraid if I told you, you might sail for South America from some other port. Hart stops, faces her irritably. I never saw a woman like you. Of course you haven't. If you had, I would have been different. Smiles on him, pauses. You see, my friend, you don't realize my possibilities. Um, I'm beginning to. Pauses, walks, stops again. See here, I don't want to be married. Nobody asked you, sir, she said. I haven't. What are you doing here? Mrs. Smythe crossing to write business with fun. Merely showing a prospective purchaser an attractive line of goods. 
I'm not in the market. Mrs. Smythe laughs, shakes her head. <laughs> You're too old and too hard to appreciate a gift. I'm not so damned old. Mrs. Smythe, calmly, right of centre, half seated on table. You're not so damned young. How about you? I'm 28, and my next 15 years are the years of a woman's life. You'll be getting the best of me, you see. I'm just 52. And you've lived too hard to last much beyond 67. I wish you wouldn't talk like that. Gives you the shivers. Why is it the bigger the man, the more he fears the finish? Hart returning to her and striking table with hand. That's the worst of success. You build and you build and... Then you stop short. You've no one to leave it to. Hart hands in pocket meditatively. It'll take 15 years to properly develop these new art syndicate's properties. A boy of 14 will be worth having then. Yes. Realising what she means, looks quickly at her, then, scandalised, crossing left and back to left centre. You're the frankest woman I've ever met. I'm just as all women are going to be. Crosses back to right of him, pauses as he thinks this over. She looks at him shrewdly. You know, that night at the Lanhams, I was acutely conscious that I had met two men, either of whom would make marriage worthwhile. Two? Yes, you and Sam McGuinness. You'd marry McGuinness? Any woman would marry McGuinness. One wouldn't. Nonsense. That was because she's young. I made her jealous. Then McGuinness rode her with spurs, and like any thoroughbred filly, she bolted. And I'm honestly sorry, because I know she must be eating her heart out now. Hart clasps fist into other palm. Good. That speech is what I've been waiting for. So you have a heart. After all. Of course. Every woman has. Only men doubt that. You get that girl back for McGuinness, and it's a trade. <laughs> Pardon my frankness, but that's the damnedest proposal I ever had. Fans herself as she turns to write. It's the only one you'll get from me. Mrs. Smythe turns to him. But suppose she's married to Arkwright. If McGuinness is satisfied, we should worry. Accept it. Hart looks at her curiously. They're close together. I wonder if we'll get on. Mrs. Smythe, she looks at him. Why not? You've known many women, and I've been married... On and off. Hart embraces and kisses her, looks at her, then turns away, crosses to left centre. She looks at him with tantalising invitation. He looks at her, suddenly takes her in his arms, and crushes her to him and kisses her. At last releases her. 
she looks at him breathlessly. McGuinness enters and exits left upper entrance. Did you say you were fifty-two? Shakes her head. Twenty-five. McGuinness enters right centre. He is in evening clothes of faultless cut. Looks particularly distinguished. Hart crosses to McGuinness. Well, Sam, she's landed me. McGuinness, right of heart, a little above him, shakes hands with him. Congratulations. To Mrs. Smythe? You know, he told me you were the only woman he'd ever seen worth marrying, and he thought if he could keep you guessing long enough, he might land you. Mrs. Smythe to heart. Oh, you did. So that's the way you handle things. Hart crosses to Mrs. Smythe, left centre. When you want a thing, never let the other fella know you're anxious to get it. McGuinness gives a perceptible start. You know, it's funny, that's what Dad said. Suddenly turns to Mrs. Smythe. Will you help me, Margie? I offered to three days ago. What do you want me to do? I don't know. Just stand by and follow my lead. What are you going to do? Damned if I know. Hey. I mean, I'm going to wait till I see her, and then... Then? Then I'm going to leave it up to her, and I'm going to do exactly what she doesn't expect. Business methods, my boy, business methods. Men use them in business to get rich, and women use them in love to get men. And the men never realize their own methods have been their undoing. Bellboy enters right. That train from Louisville has arrived and Mr. and Mrs. Outright have just come. Exits. Just stick around and follow my lead. Hart starting to leave. I'll be in. I know. The bar. Hart exits with Mrs. Smythe right. McGuinness peeps out from portieres at arch left centre as Flo and Billy enter. He quickly exits. Flo and Billy enter right upper and cross down. Flo sinks in chair down right. They are followed by Boy. You can put these down. I'll wait here. Yes, madam. Will you tell the gentleman? Yes, madam. I will tell your husband. He's registering now. That will be all. You can check those grips. Boy exits and grips. Billy enters hurriedly. Whew. Twenty hours late in a twenty-four-hour trip. Still, that's not bad under government ownership. How are you, dearest? Bends to kiss her. McGuinness enters right upper and starts to take handkerchief from his hip pocket. Flo sees him, jumps to her feet and screams. Sam, don't! Don't! He didn't know! McGuinness looks at them, astonished. I've just been waiting for an opportunity to congratulate you. Takes a hand of each. I was just reading about your marriage. About our marriage? Yes, special from Louisville. Flo to Billy? You telegraphed to Louisville? Uh, You didn't tell me you telegraphed. No, I didn't. What's wrong? 
nothing. Aren't you married? Flo looks at Billy. Billy looks at Flo. Why? 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 Yes, of course we... How do you like it? Gulps from both of them. How do you like it? Why ask me? I'm not married to him. Flo, trying to change the subject. But what are you doing here? Well, you see, when you ran away with Billy, I got lonesome. So, uh, so I... You don't mean you... McGuinness nods. Who? Who is she? <laughs> Can't you guess? Not... not... Yes. Oh. Flo crosses right to sofa, sits. Mrs. Smythe and Hart enter door left. McGuinness goes up, takes her by the arm and brings her down. Hart looks after them, astonished. Dearest, I was just telling them about us. Mrs. Smythe starts perceptibly. McGuinness gives her a little sharp nudge to follow his lead. Hart stares annoyed and indignant. Mrs. Smythe, getting it. Oh, yes, you tell her all about us, Sam. Hart gulps. Mrs. Smythe beams up into McGuinness's face as he leads her down right centre. Flo crosses over front of table to left right of Billy. McGuinness brings Mrs. Smythe down right of table and with his arm around her stands right of her in lover-like attitude. Hart is hovering near entrance left, slightly uneasy. Congratulations, Mrs. Arkwright. Thank you, Mrs. Mrs. Congratulations, Mrs. McGuinness. Flo to McGuinness. You didn't waste much time, did you? We're merely following the example of the smart set. Mrs. Smythe, now wise. Oh, there's nothing slow about Sam. Hangs on Sam's arm, looking into his eyes, suddenly. I have an idea. We eloped the same time we have met here. We'll take our honeymoon together. Yes, yes, that will be jolly, won't it, Captain McGinnis? Suits me. But we had our plans already made. Oh, we don't care where we are, do we, Margie, dear? As long as we are together. McGinnis kisses Mrs. Smythe. Billy stands to kiss Flo. You've got nothing on us. Please, you know I hate vulgar display of affection. I think all women show what they feel, don't you? Yes, yes, and Billy and I are very happy, aren't we, Billy? Of course we are. It's wonderful to see four people so happy. Kisses Mrs. Smythe. Hart comes down, trying to force a laugh. Yes, but where do I come in? You don't. You go out. Well, I'll go out and get a Coca-Cola. Exits left. Oh, where were you married? Flo stands, crosses upright. Didn't the paper say? McGuinness nudges her. Why, sure, the papers. Where are the papers, Margie? In the room, I think. I'll go get them. To Billy. Come with me. To Flo. If you can spare him. Exit Billy and Mrs. Smythe. 
Flo left center. You're a good forgetter, aren't you? We both are. Six days ago, mad about one girl, one girl to whom you owed a duty. I thought you decided to leave duty in France. Just six days ago. Well, but then I hadn't met Margie. Flo, bitter imitation, sits. No, you hadn't met Margie. McGuinness crosses to left end of table, looking after Mrs. Smythe. Oh, I must tell you about Margie. You know, she's the most wonderful woman in the world. So beautiful. Such taste. Such knowledge. And in her utmost surrender, such sweet shyness. Yes, she's famous for her sweet shyness. I can never thank you enough for having made it possible for me to meet her. I shall always remember you for that. Just for that. Thank you. Yes. Think but for that I'd be probably now a raving lunatic running around with a gun trying to kill Billy or you or myself. <laughs> While instead I want to shake him by the hand. And for you I have the kindliest feeling. Thank you. That's very nice. You know, if there's anything a woman does appreciate, it's for a man to have the kindest feeling for her. She is almost ready to cry for humiliation and rage. McGuinness sits right of table. What do you suppose was the first thing Margie did when we found we loved each other? Flo, seated left of table. I really don't know what she usually does. She asked me all about my people. And I suppose you told her all about your father in Racine. Yes, my father... The cobbler. And she insisted that I wire him at once to come and be with us in our happiness. He's coming? This evening. Expecting him any moment. At this hotel? An idea obviously strikes Flo. She starts to speak, suppresses the inclination. Dear old Dad, he'll be so proud of her. Marge's voice heard off. Sam? Sam, dear. There, you hear? His master's voice. Calls. Coming, dearest. Coming. Seizes flow by hand, gives it energetic shake. Goodbye. Good luck. Is hurrying to door to hall when meets Billy coming in. Seizes Billy's hand, rings it fervently, wheeling him around. Congratulations. Congratulations. Goodbye. Calls. Coming, Margie, dear. Exits rapidly. Flo stares after him, dumb and heartsick. Sits in chair left. Billy, bland, self-satisfied. I never saw such a woman. Thought I'd never get away. How are you now, dearest? Comes over. Starts to take her hand. She jerks it away from him. Don't touch me. Don't speak to me. Drops on sofa. Bera's face in hands. Sobs. Oh, I'm miserable. Utterly miserable. McGuinness Sr. appears at the door, left upper entrance, and realises he is intruding on private party. 
tries to back out and being awkward in social usages does not know how to do it gracefully. Excuse me, excuse me, I, I didn't mean to butt in. I was just looking for, for Captain Sam McGinnis. He's not here. I see he ain't. Uh, excuse me. Strokes hair. Flo stands for instant petrified, staring at McGinnis, then obviously an inspiration strikes her. You are Captain McGinnis's father. Crosses right to McGinnis Sr. McGinnis Sr., delighted, moving toward her in a step. Yes, miss, yes. Uh, some folks do say we look alike. Strokes hair. I'm glad to meet you. Shakes hands with him eagerly. We are friends with Captain McGinnis. Come right in. Billy stands aghast and enraged. Well, that's right, friendly of you. This is Mr. Arkwright. McGinnis Sr. to Billy. Pleased to meet you. I think, Florence, if Mr. McGinnis will excuse us. He is obviously planning to get rid of McGinnis. Flo giving the other twist to it. I want to talk to Mr. McGinnis alone. Certainly. Sure. Billy exit. Good night. McGinnis Sr. crosses over to right to Flo. I didn't quite get your name, miss. Flo following him. My name. With sudden smile of one plunging into deep water. I'm Mrs. McGinnis, Sam. McGinnis Sr. stares at her a moment, blinks in surprise. You are Sam's wife? Flo, glad she has gotten over it and a bit breathless after the plunge. Yes. McGinnis Sr. hurt. Sam should have told me he was married. We've not told anybody yet. You are the first to know it. McGinnis Sr. instantly beams, sits in chair right. Honest? Honest. They look at each other, smiling. Suddenly, on impulse, she bends forward and kisses him. He is obviously greatly embarrassed. Shucks, you're kinder, kinder... Moves his shoulders in embarrassed fashion, beams. I'm awfully glad Sam's married, er, uh... Florence. Florence, that's a pretty name. My wife's name was Catherine. Catherine is a beautiful name. Pauses, determined to show she is a loyal daughter. Don't you want to chew? Chew what? Tobacco. Pause. I don't chew, but if you want to, go right ahead. Why, Sam told me. Don't you know that boy well enough to know he's a born joker? <laughs> Half the time he's making fun of folks. He can't help it. Sam has a wonderful sense of humor, hasn't he? That's the way I like to hear a wife talk. Nothing newfangled, just plain man and woman. Them as God has joined together. Yes, yes. I have been worried about Sam for some time. His letters ain't been so happy. Guess that was while you was a-courtin' and maybe you was treatin' him mean? Yes. That's good for him. Makes him appreciate you. Pause. You know, you aren't what I expected. Oh, why, you... you are just an old dear. McGinnis Sr., he takes her hand and pats it. 
I'm mighty glad Sam's married a girl that's not ashamed of his plain old father. Ashamed of you? Whatever could make you think Sam's wife would be ashamed of you? I've been mighty worried about the girl Sam would marry. You know, Sam is what you call a snob. Sam a snob? Yes, all folks that get ahead in this world are snobs. That's what puts them ahead. They're snobs about position, snobs about money, snobs about society, snobs about what they can do, ability and religion. Why, religion's just full of them. Some of the dernedest snobs I ever knew was church snobs. Absolutely certain they're the only people in the world got a speaking acquaintance with God. But at least you aren't a snob. But I am. I'm the dernedest snob ever about making shoes. And Sam? <laughs> Sam's a snob about his ability, and that's the best kind of a snob because those ability snobs have to live up to what they think they are, and the better they get, the better they think they are, so they just keep on going and going until the rest of us ain't got a chance. Rockefeller, Schwab, Wilson, they're ability snobs. And then Sam's a terrible snob about coming from the common people. You know that boy wouldn't take a million dollars for being able to say, my father's a shoemaker. Grins. When he's going strong, he calls it cobbler. Of course, I was a cobbler, but it's a factory now. I'm thinking Sam never mentioned that? Flo, a light breaking. No, he never did. McGinnis Sr. smiles with appreciation of Sam's weakness. Maybe, daughter, you're wondering and thinking I oughtn't be saying all this. But I have my reasons. Taking her hand. My boy Sam is the world to me. He's all I have. All I live for. All I have lived for since his mother left him to me. And I couldn't tell him what I've just told you for anything. But you are his wife. You love him. And remember that if a man and a woman are to be happy together, they don't have to worry about each other's strength but they must understand and handle each other's weaknesses. That's why I've tipped you off to Sam's. Thanks. I understand. Pauses. Now what am I a snob about? Just now you seem to be a snob about making your daddy-in-law love you, and you're doing it. Pauses. He winks. The rest I'll tell to Sam. Whatever you tell him... Will you tell him tonight? Tell him that... Mrs. Smythe appears, cutting off Flo before she can finish. Just looking for Captain McGuinness. Have you seen him, dear? No. Rises, crosses to right. When you do see Captain McGuinness, ma'am, would, would you tell him to come here? He's expecting me. I have a suspicion that he is in the bar. Thank you, ma'am. If he's already there, it'll save us both a walk. Pauses at the door. Exits right. Mrs. Smythe has entered, bright and smiling. Flo is smiling, too, facing her, but hers is the smile of battle. A pause that becomes awkward. Margie, I want to talk to you about Sam. Mrs. Smythe sits right of table centre. Beams. That's awfully nice of you, dear. You know, there's no subject in the world I'm so full of. Isn't he wonderful? Does not pause for reply. 
Just the minute I saw him, I said to myself, there's the man to make any woman happy. Yes. You know, right after dinner that night, Mr. Hart offered him 20,000 a year to work for him, and Sam, for some foolish reason, refused. Flo, realizing why McGuinness refused, and the enormity of her own loss. Captain Sam refused that night. What? When? What time that night? Immediately after dinner. Oh, what a fool I... Oh, not such a fool. He's sailing tomorrow for South America to make a preliminary investigation of the hard properties at $25,000 a year. Sailing tomorrow? Margie nods. I'm going with him. Mrs. Smythe rises. You? Oh, no, I'm going with him. Flo rises. Margie, Sam McGinnis belongs to me. <laughs> My dear, you can't have them all, you know. Flo facing Mrs. Smythe. Perhaps you won't feel that way when I tell you I'm his wife. She expects an outburst from Mrs. Smythe, but she is calm. Yes, and you let him get away from you. You poor little fool. I may have been a fool, but I'm still his wife. I suppose I'm the other woman. All right, I'll be the other woman. She generally has a better time anyhow. Fortunately, the divorce will be easy to get. You mean he'd divorce me? Well, my dear, when a married woman goes away with another man, people don't generally believe they're just playing checkers. Margie, I've been a fool, I admit it. A poor fool, but I've waked up. I love him. I don't feel that I can go on without him. Won't you? Mrs. Smythe, smiling. Do you think he'd take you back? Flo, dumb with horror. Take me? You mean he wouldn't take me? Why, child, you had him. You had his love and your happiness right in your hands. And what did you do? Just because you didn't like the cut of his clothes, or the way the barber had brushed his hair, or some other fool thing that had nothing in the world to do with the man himself, you decided to break your word, kick over a contract and ruin a man's life. I didn't. I only wanted to... To humiliate him and furnish yourself an excuse for kicking out. That's the trouble with about half of you wives. You think that marriage is a one-sided arrangement for your protection, care and amusement, instead of being a job like any other job that a woman and man have to work at to make good. But... You had your chance. You failed. And now the job is mine. You refuse to give him up. I do. Then I'll take him away from you. <laughs> you? Yes, because I'm his wife, and you can't take a man away from his wife if she wants him and is willing to fight for him, and I'll fight. Goes up to left of table and returns. But I did take him. You? Why, you took nothing. I was just a little fool and let him go. But now I know I love him. He did love me, and I'm going to make him love me all over again. You'll see, you'll see. Exits left upper exit. McGuinness Jr. enters right. 
Well? She's going to do this to you. Makes gesture with her finger, come to me. Ah. His whole being lights up with joy and love. And if you do just that, as you're doing now, you'll have her for a while. I don't want her for a while. I want her for always. Then do this. Indicates vigorously gesture of repulsion, pushing someone away. And drive her away from me forever? Forever? Oh no, she's a woman. But... A woman, a hound, and a walnut tree. The more you beat them, the better they be. He hesitates. Don't believe in old sayings. All right. Yet in business, do you cheapen the article when the customer is interested? I didn't want to cheapen, but... <laughs> Why is it about everything but a woman a man can use common sense? Now listen, she's bored with her pretty Billy, desperately bored. She's in the middle of an awkward situation, and neither he nor she has the poise or humor to handle it. And on top of that, you come along, and I've shown her your value, and she sees what she's lost. And she's determined to beat me and get you back at the crook of her finger. She's sure of it, because she told me so. McGuinness, for the first time, warming up and the light of battle coming into his eyes. She told you that? I'll come at the first crook of her finger, eh? Yes. Will you? McGuinness, right centre, facing her. I'll see her in. Points down. Mrs. Smythe, left centre, facing him. Then tell her just that. Points down. Pressing her advantage. You've gambled for your life. Can't you gamble for your happiness? She'll be a wonderful wife if you get her on your terms. But you're a fool to take her on her own, because she'll find out she was tricked and never forgive it. And the end will be the same. Billy, or some other Billy. You started right, but... And I'd always dreamed marriage was a partnership. Yes, it is. With a good senior partner. I'll... Flo enters, left upper. Sorry to interrupt, but I dropped my handkerchief. I was just going. Shall I? No, indeed, dear boy. I have many things to attend to. Pauses at door. Right to flow. I hope, dear, you'll find your handkerchief. She exits right. Sam, why did you let me do it? Do what? Run away with Billy. McGuinness moving a step toward her. You came of your own free will, didn't you? But you were my husband. It was your duty to stop me. How could I stop you when I didn't know anything about it? I wanted to show you that I had the courage to do as I liked, to follow my impulses. McGuinness sits right of her. Well, you did it. Aren't you happy? Sam, I've made a terrible mistake. Well, I want you to come back to me. She shan't have you. I'm your wife and I won't give you up. How can you give up what you haven't got? Don't, Sam. 
Sam's business with hand. Don't say that. Don't do that. It's not Margie. You don't understand. I... But I do understand. I understand better than you think. Don't I know what's in the back of your mind? You'll admit I'm your husband. Come to me for a little while. No, no, Sam. Always. <sighs> Nonsense. You've not changed. I've not changed. I'm the same roughneck you knew in France. The same servant who took orders in your house. If I couldn't hold you then, I can't hold you now. And I don't propose to be picked up and thrown down at any woman's whim. I'll come back as your wife, Sam. Don't you understand? As your wife. Yes, as my wife. To save your face. Then divorce me legally and marry Billy. No, I'm through. As far as I'm concerned, you can go to the devil. Flo, as he stalks out right. All right, then. I'll go to the devil. He exits. To herself. But you'll be the devil I'll go to. Curtain falls sharply to mark end of scene one. Curtain. Act three, scene two. Captain McGuinness's room in the Grunwald. A typical hotel room in first-class hotel. On left, two windows with curtains drawn. Between the windows, a bureau with mirror. Centre of rear wall, a double bed with head against wall. Foot extending toward footlights. Entrance door from hall. Rear at right. On right, two doors. Upper door. Centre lower door, bathroom. A table below foot of bed. Beside bed, small table with reading light. Besides this light, there are bracket candles on either side of bureau and overbed, turned on, giving the room a warm, soft glow, a screen between the bed and window above the bureau. Time, fifteen minutes after events of scene one. Discovered. At the rise, the stage is empty. The first thing to catch the eye must be a large suitcase placed on the table, so that the audience can clearly read on the end of it. Captain McGuinness, USA. Pitched carelessly on the table beside it are McGuinness's top coat and hat, a suit of street clothes, soiled shirt, a collar and tie. After a distinct pause, there is a low, timid rap at the door. This rapping is repeated twice. Then the knob turns. The door is opened from without slowly, and Flo peeps in. She looks about then pushes the door wide open, walks in, looks about the room, shakes her head in disapproval, opens the closet door, hangs up her dressing gown, goes to phone. Flo into phone. Will you send a lady's maid, please? Captain McGuinness's room, number 369. Mrs. McGuinness speaking. Hangs up phone, gives a little excited cough to herself, Shakes her head at appearance of room. Begins straightening up. Hangs McGuinness's coat and hat and suit in closet. Puts dirty shirt and collar in bureau drawer. A knock at door. Come in. Maid appears. Yes, madam. Will you please lock the door on the outside and leave the key in the office? Lock the door on the outside? 
Yes, so my husband won't disturb me. Oh, yes, madam. I understand. As Flo tips her. Thank you, madam. Goes to door. I hope you all sleep well. Good night. Flo to maid as she exits. Good night. Flo seats herself in chair before the mirror, proceeds to take down her hair. She brushes her hair, turns out lights, and gets into bed. McGuinness enters, turns on lights and stands looking at Flo's picture on bureau while taking his tie off. Flo climbs out of bed and gets key from lock and puts it under her pillow. McGuinness turns, sees her, crosses to bedside. I told you to go to the devil. Well, here I am, and you can't put me out. Please put out those lights, Sam. They hurt my eyes. McGuinness switches off lights. She turns on bed lamp. Oh, Sam, I've come back to you. Won't you forgive me? I love you, Sam. I love you. I've lost all my snobbishness. I'm cured. Sam, I'm cured. And who cured you? Can't you guess? The best cobbler in Racine. Sam Brace. God bless you. Curtain. End of Act 3 End of Civilian Clothes by Thompson Buchanan